Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert speaks about Colossians 4, 2-6. The Apostle Paul concludes his letter by pointing the church beyond themselves, to the God who sovereignly nurtures their life together, and to the outsiders they are called to serve. Let's hear today's message. D.L. Moody. Do you know D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was an evangelist who lived in the 19th century. He had a big footprint here in our country. When he spoke, uh, tens of thousands of people would come to listen, but he also had a ministry in Europe, and so he would go back and forth across the Atlantic frequently. Of course, at that time, you didn't fly. You traveled by ship or ocean liner. And so I I read about an occasion when, when Moody was on his way from America to Europe, and there was a fire on the ocean liner. His uh, assistant came to him while Moody had joined the bucket brigade. They were, they were passing buckets trying to put out this fire that threatened the ship. And the assistant thought, well, this really isn't the job of an evangelist. And so he suggested that Moody and he go to the other side of the ship and simply pray for the safety of all involved and for, uh, for the fire to be put out. I appreciated Moody's response. Moody said to his assistant, no sir, (laughs) we can pass the bucket and pray fervently all at the same time. This summer we have been working our way through the book of Colossians and we are concluding our study this morning. Now for those of you who are rule followers and going, wait, 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 there is is some portion left at the end, portion that involves a whole bunch of names, and what do we do with that? Well, remember, we tackled that at the very first sermon. So this morning, we are concluding our study in Colossians. We've been using this journal, and so I hope you have it with you. If you don't, you can certainly open in uh, your pew Bible to the book of Colossians there. Colossians has helped us recognize more and more the importance of our life together. It was written to a church that had newly formed in this ancient city of Colossae. And and though they were excited about their faith, they were beginning to face kind of the anticipated threats that come with walking with Christ. And, And so they asked the question, what do we do? And God's Spirit through the Apostle Paul placed an emphasis, I hope you recognize this from our time all through the summer, an emphasis on on guarding and nurturing the body of Christ, the life that we share together. Landon, when he preached, pointed out that most of the time in this letter, when the the word you is used, you you probably ought to think y'all, right? Because it was about our life together. And there was specific, uh, specific emphasis placed on our actions, our behavior. Like, what does it mean for us to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, it got so specific. Do you remember that there was instruction given to husbands and wives as you relate to one another in the context of the church or, or to um, 
parents and children there at the end, or even in that context, slaves and masters, or we said, you know, so that might mean in our context, if you're a, if you're a business owner and an employee, like, what does that look like? A specific emphasis on action. And while we want to hold that up this morning, I think it's interesting to note that these final verses place our attention not on the importance of our actions for holding our life together in health, but on the one who is ultimately responsible to nurture our life together. That is God himself. Like Moody, who recognized, no, no, uh, it is appropriate to both give ourselves to the dependence on God in prayer and action all at the same time, so too do these final verses help us recognize the importance of giving ourselves in dependence to God, especially through prayer. For prayer reveals the one upon whom we ultimately trust. So I want you to think just for a moment as we enter in. What's your prayer life like? If someone could record your prayer life, who would they think you are trusting for your life, for those you care about, for the life of our church? Would they think that you're trusting God or, or your own efforts, ingenuity, wisdom? Consider that as we come into God's Word this morning. Colossians chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 6. I'll read it, pray, and then we'll consider God's Word uh, and its place in our life together. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pause for a moment and pray. Well, Lord, uh, thank you for your word. The word that we read just in these moments, but also your word given to us throughout this series and this summer. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, enable your word to uh, take root in our lives deeply. That we would know you uh, in greater ways and that you would... uh, reveal who we are called to be in relationship with you because of your word. Speak to us personally in these moments that you, Jesus, would be glorified in our lives individually and even more together as your body. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, prayer reveals what we really think is going on, or better said, who we really think is in charge or responsible in any given moment. It was true for Paul. Paul Prayer reveals Paul's heart. 
not only here at the end, but also at the beginning. And so, because this is our last one, I want to I remind you of the beginning of this letter so that we can take it all in. Do you remember that Paul, at the outset, framed his hopes and his desires for the church to which he wrote in a prayer? If you've got your journal or the Bible open, like flip back to Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and you'll see Paul's prayer there. He says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking. And you can gaze there for yourselves. I'll just paraphrase his words. In verse 9, notice, he said, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants us to know more deeply who God is. He says, I pray that you will be enabled to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and that your life will be fruitful, that it's not something that just stays here, but it bears itself out in your actions and in the way you live in the world. And finally, verse 11, and that you would be strengthened by God's power so that you might be able to endure with patient joy. Maybe you remember we talked about that. I mean, the reality is life is hard. and I mean, it's hard for everyone, but if we're trying to live into and embody the values that Jesus gives us, that is challenging in this world. And so he's praying for this young church as, as Jesus still prays for us, that we would be strengthened. The, the letter calls us to be attentive to our life together so that we together, again, don't lose that emphasis, that we together would grow in the knowledge of who God is with all spiritual wisdom, that that there's something about our life together that helps us get there, that we together uh, would honor God with the way we live. Like, Like the together involves each individual person, of course, and so we need to be responsible for our actions, but there's There's something about our corporate action, our wisdom, or the way we live together in the world that that can bear fruit, that gives glory to God, and that we would be strengthened together so that we might joyfully endure or persevere when life gets tough. Like, all of us endure very terrible, terrible things, and in in the providence of God, He has designed the church such that we carry one another through those times, bearing one another's burdens. As I looked at these and thought about the, the, the life that we're intentionally sharing this morning with the worship service and the picnic, I, I thought about our, our deacon's ministry. And I want to highlight that for you. Uh, because, you know, though we're going to share fellowship and worship uh, one of the real purposes for this morning is to really tee up our deacons for the work they're called to do amongst us. Deacons are, are called and ordained officers in our church, and their role, uh, to, to be spoken simply, is to attend to the health of the body of Christ, the church. We have like 20 deacons, and that's their call. So if you think about it in those three goals that Paul outlines, like the deacons are called to help us stay together that we might grow in our knowledge and spiritual wisdom of who God is. Specifically, deacons are looking. 
And they're going, hey, is anyone missing worship? Not just once in a while, but has anyone just become disconnected from the body? And the role of a deacon is to gently notice and say, hey, where'd you go? <laughs> Not in a punitive sense, but in a loving sense because they recognize we grow in spiritual knowledge. We grow to know God together. And if you're not here, you're probably not growing in that. And so a deacon's job is to, to help that. A deacon's job is to help you recognize ways that you might be called to serve in the life of the church. Those who were just standing up here, most of them met with an elder and a deacon. And hopefully the deacon um, said, well, let me share with you about the life of our church. Let me share with you about opportunities that might be available to you as, as God has created you. Finally, deacons are meant to help all of us care for one another in times of need. They're the ones that are, are supposed to know when you're going through something and appropriately come alongside of you and help the church do so as well. There was a time in this church when I, when I heard the phrase, you know, elders are the leaders and deacons are the doers, to which I said, hogwash, <laughs> right? Deacons are the leaders helping all of us to care for one another. Because it's not just the job of 20 people to care for the life of the church. It's the job of those 20 people to lead us all to be attentive and to care for one another. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to lean into those relationships, help you get to know your deacon, help the deacons get to know you, all of that. I'll share practical instructions about that uh, at the end of the service. But just so you get a sense of what it is, you know, we, we've reordered this ministry in the last few years. Uh, we grew the board. We have 20 deacons. Each of them have been assigned a handful of covenant partners or members like those you saw standing up here. We did it right before COVID, thank goodness. God's spirit, I think, led us to that so that as soon as we shut down, the deacons were able to call uh, the people on their list and say, are you all right? How can we help you? Now, this is still a relatively new process and we're still living into it. I have heard from some, hey, I don't think I ever got a call from my deacon. I'm not even sure who my deacon is. And so the deacons are going to be given attention to that this year, building within their life together, kind of more gentle ways that they can hold one another accountable to, to doing this work. But the, but the emphasis or the importance also falls on us, right, to engage with our deacon and to say, hey, um, will you pray with me? Or can I just visit with you? Or something like that. Some of us aren't good at that. You remember when you were in school and you had a teacher or professor who said, hey, I'm here to help. Come to my office anytime. Some of you were really good about going to the teacher's office for help, right? And then there were others like me. <laughs> no way. I never did it. The deacons are doing the same thing. And so I encourage us to lean in together, to be attentive to the health of the body of Christ that is here in our midst, but not just for our own sake. For the health of a body is never meant just for the body's sake. You ever think about that? 
I, was, I witnessed a couple of occasions just this past week of people who are going through significant illness. Some in our church, uh, some were outside the body. You know, I saw a young, uh, young woman at a, at a recent football game who was there out in public for the first time um, after having major, major surgery. And it reminded me, hey, so our attention to the body, our health is not for its own sake, but so that we can live, so that we can serve, so that we can give ourselves to all of the things God's called us to together. And that's what Paul's prayer suggests at the end of the letter. Look at it. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. What's God's word calling us to there? Well, it's calling us to a, to a readiness in prayer. This, this imagery is of, of one who is always standing at the ready. Or it's actually used uh, by fishermen in that day that you would have your boat always ready to go. Remember that scene when, when Jesus, when pushed by the crowd, got into the boat and pushed back so he, would, he could preach from a distance? That boat was ready to go. In the same way that this verse calls us to be ready in prayer. It reminds me of, of a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. A verse that says something very similar. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Like, how do you do that? You can't shut, shut your eyes when you're driving in the car praying, right? But it is kind of the attitude of your life that you can live ready. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I want you to notice a couple of words in this verse. Not 1 Thessalonians, but our main verse, Colossians 4, verse 2. And he calls us to pray and to watch. To watch and pray. Those two words reminded me of a scene in the Gospels. To watch and pray. Come, watch and pray. Maybe it's coming to you. Watch and pray. Jesus said to his disciples as he invited them to join him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? He invited just a few of them. Come with me while I pray. This is right before his arrest, right before his execution, right before the greatest challenge they would ever face, though they didn't know it. He invites them, come, watch and pray. What'd they do? They fell asleep, right? They weren't attentive. They didn't follow through and watch and pray. In a similar way, God is calling to this new church Watch and pray. I know you're excited about your faith. I know you're excited about your life together. But you will face challenge. So watch and pray. For God is the one who knows tomorrow. And God is the one to whom we depend on for life. And so just as the disciples were called, and, and just as Paul calls the church in Colossae, so too do we. Receive that call to watch and pray, to be ready. Yeah, to, to work on our behavior and our actions, but ultimately our life together, 
It doesn't depend on us. It depends on God and his presence in our midst. Prayer reveals that. Your prayer life reveals who you are ultimately depending on. And it also reveals where your focus in life is. Look at verse 3. Let's remember where Paul is writing from. Anyone want to call it out? Where, what's the context for his writing? Prison, right? He's in a Roman prison writing this letter. Now notice first what he doesn't ask them to pray for. Right? If I'm writing in a jail, my first prayer request probably right? Pray that, that, that God's Spirit would somehow miraculously intervene and open the jail, jail door. You can read an Acts. God's done it before. Maybe you can do it again. He doesn't even ask for that. Because that's not where his focus is. Prayer reveals our focus. Whether it's on us or whether it's on God and his purposes for us in the world. I don't want you to mistake me. I'm not saying we can't pray that God would intervene in our lives. We can and we should. The scripture calls us to. But even as we're going through our own trials, God calls us to remember that it's not about us. It's about him and his mission in the world. And maybe he even wants to use you and the trial that you're going through for his good purposes. And so Paul says, hey, so pray for me. Not that I'd be released, but that I might have opportunity to speak the gospel, to make it clear, to lead others to Jesus. He gets specific, right? He says, pray this for me, but also make sure it's your focus too. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outside, outsiders, making the best use of the time. Like live anticipating that God wants to use you and us and whatever we're going through for his good purposes. Like expect that every day. And then verse 6, let your speech... Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Think about what does your speech, when you're sharing with a friend or a coworker, what does it reveal about your faith? Who you think ultimately guides life? Is God good? Trustworthy, according to your speech? There's an implication in verse 6. I want you to notice it. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How you ought to answer each person. What's the implication? They're asking a question, right? That you ought to answer each... Well, that means they're asking a question. There's something about your life or our life together that ought to get people going, hmm, I wonder what they're doing, right? Not just, I wonder who won the cornhole tournament as they drive by. Well, they're not going to drive by because of the construction. But you know what I mean, right? (laughs) 
There ought to be something about the way that we live together positively that causes those who don't yet know Christ, who aren't part of a church, to go, huh, I wonder why they're like that. I wonder why they do that. I wonder why they think that way. I mean, again, I think that's why singing is so important. Where else in the world do you go and hear volunteers sing like you just sang this morning? Nowhere, right? You've been to a high school football game, heard the uh, national anthem played? Do they sing? Not really. If someone were to come into our midst and heard what they heard this morning, would they not go, huh, what's up with that? And so they might ask questions. Reminds me of Peter's direction in 1 Peter 3.15. You know this verse? He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That is to say, we don't want people to notice, hey, I wonder why those people are such jerks. Like that should not be the testimony of the church, right? It should be, they have a hope that I struggle to hold on to. I wonder where that comes from. Does our life together lift up that hope? Does it point to Jesus? Well, I I think we have room to grow, but I think the answer is yes. And we get to celebrate that in this moment that we share together. Let me wrap up with a a real-world, real-time story that I think illustrates this. I want you to not only hear the story to kind of make this make sense, but so that you can join us in prayer. You know, it was probably about 10 years ago that leaders in our church went, huh, we think God wants us to turn our gaze outward. We've gone, you know, we went through a lot in the life of the church, a lot of conflict, a lot of stuff, and our gaze was kind of inward, and we intentionally went, no, no, no. We think God wants us to turn ourselves outwards to serve our community. We did some work on that. We said, we think we want to put a focus on those who care for children, specifically, probably single parents and teachers. And so we did a whole bunch to that end. I'll not name them all, but one of them was a program that's still going on. It's called Read and Relate, where members from our church go over to what is now Mommy Intermediate School. No comment on the name. Used to be Wayne Trail, right? Fourth and fifth grade. And the principal worked with our volunteers and helped connect uh, volunteers from our church with young people who needed a positive adult influence in their life. And they would simply read and go through homework together during uh, recess and lunch once a week. There's still six of us doing that, and it occurs to me we need to hold that up again so that you can learn more and be involved if you'd like to be. But Jack, Jack was one of those six, right? And Jack Hempel will pray with us for in a moment. Um, but Jack uh, met a young kid and built a relationship with him over, what, three, four years probably? Just one year. Just one year. Okay. All right. I never exaggerate stories at all. That's right. One year. One year, even better. You never know how God will use one year. So you got, you got read and relate. Put a pin in that for a moment. Just this past summer, 
Our church invested $20,000 so that we can invite young people from all over the region to come to Maumee for the group work camp. Do you remember this? Not only invested the money, but many of you volunteered your time to serve at those sites, to help our kids, to bring ladders. Uh, Some of those homes were in Toledo, but some of them were here in Maumee. Well, I don't know if you've been reading the news, but there was a family here in Maumee that just lost their home. have little kids here in the district. That home was one that we worked on this past summer. That home belonged to the young boy that Jack knew through Read and Relate. And Carla Lewis in the back has been engaging on behalf of our church with this family saying, hey, how can we help? And we don't have a full answer to that yet. But as I'm thinking through this passage and this call to be wise towards outsiders, to always be ready, to trust that God is at work, though you might not be able to see it, all of this is coming together. Do you see it? And I wonder how the witness we've sought to bore out to our community over the last decade might come into being in the life of this family in the next few weeks or months. I don't know. And that's okay. Because remember, who's in charge? God's in charge. And our prayer life calls us to recognize that. Christ in and through us, Colossians tells us, is the hope of glory in the world. And so may we celebrate that in our life together this morning, and may we trust God's Spirit to lead us continually in the year ahead. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do give thanks. We give thanks for our life together. We give thanks for those you have called to attend to that life, especially our deacons. We give thanks for all that you have done in us and for what you are doing through us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us to take action, to be responsible for the way we nurture relationship with one another, but never, Lord, to think that we are ultimately responsible for this life. For you, Lord, are in charge. You are the one who is our sovereign grace, and so would you lead us more deeply into prayer to depend on you and to notice all of the opportunities you set before us for your sake. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.